0: Welcome to the Pearl of Great Price podcast. Thanks for joining us today. It's the 11th of October on this day in Christian history. We go back to the year 1962 and we travel to Rome where the second ecumenical Vatican Council opened and it would last for four years until it closed under Pope Paul VI on the 8th of December 1965. It is now seen as a watermark in modern ecclesial history and it addressed relations between the catholic church and the modern world. Several important changes resulted from the council a renewal of consecrated life with a revised charism, ecumenical ethics with other christian denominations, an interfaith dialogue with other religions and the universal call to holiness. An ecumenical council is a universal council of the church's bishops and has the highest authority of all of the meetings. Pope John XXIII had been elected Pope three years earlier and shocked many by announcing his intention to convene an ecumenical council less than three months after his election. He famously said that it was time to open the windows of the church and let in some fresh air. Preparations for the council took more than two years and included work from 10 specialised commissions with 120 members composed mainly of members from the Roman Curia and with bishops coming from all over the world. This would become one of the tensions of the early stages of the council. At the previous ecumenical council called Vatican I 737 bishops had attended, mainly from Europe, and it had opened in 1868, but had been suspended in eighteen seventy-one month after the Kingdom of Italy had occupied Rome. Pope Pius IX, who then considered himself to be a prisoner of the Vatican, had adjourned the council indefinitely. And the first council, Vatican I, was formally closed, in 1960 by Pope John XXIII prior to the formation of the Second Vatican Council. At Vatican II, attendance varied from 2,100 to over 2,300 bishops, this time from all over the world. In between the first and second session of the new council, the Pope John XXIII died on 3rd June 1963 and the council was automatically suspended. But Paul VI was elected on the 21st of June 1963 and immediately announced that the council would continue. The first session had been hampered by a small conservative group who had tried to turn the council into a ratification of predetermined decisions dominated by the Roman Curia. Cardinal Frings of Cologne had led a group of progressive bishops in a successful fight to break the Roman Curia's control over the council's agenda and commissions. And he mapped a strategy that circumscribed papal authority by recognising the right of bishops to rule collegially with the pontiff. In the months prior to the second session, Paul VI worked to correct some of the problems of the organisation and procedures that had been discovered during the first session. The changes included inviting additional lay Catholics and non-Catholic observers, reducing the number of proposed schemata to 17, which were made more general in keeping with the pastoral nature of the Council, and later eliminating the requirement of secrecy surrounding the general sessions. Paul's opening address for the second session of Vatican II stressed the pastoral nature of the Council and set out four purposes for it. To to define more fully the nature of the Church and the role of the Bishop. To renew the Church. To restore unity amongst all Christians. Including seeking pardon for Catholic contributions to separation. And finally to start a dialogue with the contemporary world. This direction brought the different groups in the Council into conflict, with Frings leading the Liberals and with Cardinal Ottiovanni, the head of the Holy Office and the leading Conservative voice. During the second session of the Council, Frings declared Ottaviani's dicastery a source of scandal to the whole world. He often clashed with Ottaviani on which direction the council should take and he was assisted by a young theological adviser named Joseph Ratzinger who would later become Pope Benedict XVI. In a session concerning changes to the mass Cardinal Ottaviani went beyond the 10 minute limit imposed on all speakers. Upon reaching 15 minutes a warning bell was rung And when Ottaviani kept speaking, the microphone was switched off. After tapping the microphone to determine it was off, he stumbled back to his seat in humiliation, while there was scattered applause by members of the council fathers who had held that he had gone on too long. Ottaviani boycotted the next six council working sessions, and it was announced that he had been grieved by the October the 30th incident. The Associated Press noted that ironically the incident was favorably commented on by non-Catholic observers attending the council who were struck by the democratic process and the freedom of expression at the council. The third session saw a further revision of schemata and saw the appointment of 15 women as auditors. A group that would grow in size to 24 women. This was in response to Cardinal Leo Sunens of Belgium, who had asked the other bishops, Why are we even discussing the reality of the church when half the church is not even represented here? Referring to women. And Pope Paul closed the third session on the 21st of November by announcing a change in the Eucharistic fast and formally reaffirming Mary. As the mother of the church. While some called for more dogmas about Mary. In a later speech Paul VI referred to the Christocentric and church centred direction. Which the council intends to give to our doctrine and devotion to our lady. Going into the fourth and final session. Paul VI and most of the bishops made it clear that they wanted it to be the final one. And the Pope promulgated the motto proprio, establishing the Synod of Bishops. This would be a more permanent structure and it was intended to preserve close cooperation of the Bishops with the Pope after the Council. The Decree on Religious Freedom, Dignitatis Humanae, one of the more controversial of the conciliar documents that passed by a vote of 1,997 for to 224 against, it was controversial because it placed all religions on the same footing when it came to laws and laws about religious freedom. Another controversial document was Nostra Aetate which stated that the Jews of the time of Christ taken indiscriminately and all Jews today are no more responsible for the death of Christ than Christians. This paved the way for much better Catholic Jewish relations that have been emphasised since the council. Particularly in the work of Pope John Paul II. See the podcast of April 13th. And by the end of the council. The bishops had produced four major constitutions. And 12 other documents. The first constitution was called Sacrosanctum Concilium. And was about the church's liturgy. The matter that had the most immediate effect on the lives of individual Catholics, was the revision of the liturgy that this ensured. The central idea was that there ought to be lay participation in the liturgy, which meant that they take part fully aware of what they're doing, actively engaged in the rite and enriched by its effects. Since the mid-1960s, permission had been granted to celebrate the Mass, in vernacular languages and the amount of scripture read during mass was greatly expanded through different annual cycles of readings. The second constitution was called Lumen Gentium and was on the nature of the church which gave direction to ecumenism, relationships with non-Christian religions and non-religious freedom. In Lumen Gentium, a surprise was that whilst, in some sense, other Christian communities are institutionally defective, these communities can in some cases be more effective as vehicles of grace, an astounding admission by an official Church document. According to Pope Paul VI, the official and the most characteristic and ultimate purpose of the teachings of the Council was the universal call to Holiness, which was also in in Lumen Gentium, and peace and dialogue within society. The third constitution on divine revelation, called De Verbum, encouraged everybody, not just priests and religious, to read scriptures of the Bible rather than relying solely on devotional writings, booklets and the lives of Catholic saints as the Council of Trent and the First Vatican Council was encouraged. And this brought a definitive end to the Counter-Reformation, and in the spirit of opening up, or aggiornamento, reached back behind St. Thomas himself and the Fathers to the Biblical theology, which governs the first two chapters of the Constitution of the Church. Encouraging the translation of liturgical texts into vernacular languages and expanding the scripture readings during Mass was resonant, if it was felt, with the sensibilities of other churches and other Christian denominations. Thus making the whole council, the Second Vatican Council, a milestone for Catholic, Protestants and the Orthodox. Finally, the Fourth Constitution, Gaudium et Spes, was the pastoral constitution on the Church in the modern world. It was felt that the failure of the Church to respond promptly to major global events such as World War II and the Holocaust had made Pope John XXIII begin an open Vatican II with an emphasis on examining the role of the Church in the world. And such topics were wide-ranging, including marriage and the family, development of culture, economics, politics and peace and war. It was the last and the longest published document from the Council. And it's the first constitution published by an ecumenical council to address the entire world. Gaudium and Spes clarified and reoriented the role of the Church's mission to people outside of the Catholic faith. It was the first time that the Church took explicit responsibility for its role in the larger world. It described the Church not as a community that was somehow floating above the world, detached from it, but it began with a statement. The joys and the hopes, the grief and anguish of the people of our time, especially of those who are poor or afflicted but the joys and the hopes, the grief and anguish of the followers of Christ as well. That's all from the Pearl of Great Price today. Thanks for listening. Join us tomorrow if you can as we look at the Polish theologian Eric Przera, who Karl Barth described as his Goliath. This month we have surpassed 10,000 downloads so thank you to all the listeners from all over the world for your interest and today a special thank you to our listeners in Berlin in Germany and in NERN Scotland our archives can be found at www.pogp.net and if you have time please subscribe share the podcast with friends thank you to Kevin McLeod for today's music And have a lovely day wherever you are, and thanks for listening.